It's another warm welcome to the Women's Rugby Pod. She's Rachel Burford. He's Johnny Hammond. And today we have a bumper show for you, as to be fair, we, we normally do. Uh, coming up on today's pod, we hear from the golden girl, Emily Scout, who clutched victory from the jaws of defeat against France at the weekend. In goalkeeping terms, it's a, it is a relative easy kick. Like People would be more surprised if you missed that than if you got it. So I think naturally that builds the pressure a little bit because you don't ever want to be that person that, that scuffs a sitter. We also talk to the new Welsh skills coach, Rachel Taylor. Probably has been rudderless and I think that, you know, that you're not the first person to describe it as that. I think it's a fair... Uh, a fair description plus you think about um, you know what those players really deserve and I think that's probably where Warren and I are trying to build that relationship early doors because we feel like they deserve more and if that wasn't enough we've got Alison Hughes the lady in charge of next year's World Cup coming up on the pod off the back of that uh, highly swanky World Cup pool draw to see those local derbies play out as well in, in a World Cup um, and then intermingle that with, with different teams and, and, and different kind of matches coming through those pool rounds is going to be fantastic. So without further ado, we'll, uh, we'll get Emily straight onto the pod. But Berth, what was your, uh, just just quick assessment without uh, prying ears around, um, what was your assessment of the Red Roses' victory? Well, I mean, what a way to finish a game and to close something out, I think. I think they'd be disappointed at how they played in the first half and that it came down to that moment. And, you know, a lot of people will say it was a bit of luck to to get themselves into that position where they could take the lead with Emily Scarrett 80 minutes is up. Like, nobody's going to... If anybody's going to get that shot, it's going to be Emily Scarrett. So, I think... I reckon it was a good wake-up call. Let's not discuss any further. Let's get Emily straight onto the pod. Well, yeah, fresh off... Her bench warming uh, at the weekend with just a, a, a small cameo at the end. Very good morning and thank you once again, friend of the pod, Emily Scarrett. How are you, golden girl? Morning, I'm all good, thank you. How are you guys? Good, yes, we're well, thank you. How many times have you worn 23 or, or a number past 15 on your back? <laughs> I don't know, but it is quite a few times. Um yeah, I don't know. The girls have been giving me some stick about it, but I have, I've definitely, I reckon, over 10. Uh, no, I don't believe that. I reckon <laughs> maybe two, because then any time you're not starting, you're like full-on NPR, right, go put the wheels on ice. Yeah, I'm not sure. Back. I honestly wouldn't know. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a different experience, definitely, being on the bench. I don't, I'm not a particularly good watcher, so... Um, as probably most people aren't to be fair are they but um, yeah uh, like most people you prefer to be on the pitch but especially in that game it wasn't fun watching <laughs> it was a tough watch wasn't it give, well give us give us your assessment then that, certainly that first sort of 50-55 minutes before you uh, stripped off the track suit uh, your, your assessment of England's performance look a, a good win double win over over France of course now in, a, in the World Cup pool with uh, with England just just you two little leg ends on the other side of the Zoom there. Give us uh, give your, your assessment over the uh, the England-France game of the weekend. I think, like, for me, first of all, like, France came to play, didn't they? Obviously, we'd come off the back of playing them the week before. It'd been a bit of a kick fest, probably the week before, um, that we'd probably got the upper hand of, got some really good kickers throughout the squad. And, 
I think France had obviously looked at it. They picked um, a couple of different people that probably suggested that they they were going to come to handle a bit more. Um, and, and that's definitely what they did. Um, Safi was back, who's pretty talismanic for them. Um, and yeah, I think I think for us, we just were strewn with errors, especially in that first half. And to be fair, second half as well. We just didn't look after the ball well enough. We didn't get any continuity going. We weren't able to then play the way that perhaps we wanted to play, um, coupled with obviously the, the fact that France were playing and they were putting us under a lot of pressure. So um, look, France are one of the best sides in the world. So I don't think it's a surprise that, you know, they came and did what they did and put us under pressure. Um but I think there's lots of things that we can learn from that game, certainly moving forwards. I'm quite interested to know what the chat is around defence, because I think notoriously England are so good at getting up, putting lots of pressure on, you know, forcing errors, which is predominantly what you did last week against them, pin them back. Um, but France did really well at keeping the ball. And it was almost like we you like allowed them to play this kind of edge to edge, a bit of jouet. I mean, what, was there any discussion around that at half time or post game? Yeah, we spoke about our our width because um, essentially, if you haven't got width width in your defensive line, you can't really ever go forwards because you're always probably going to be um, struggling a little bit, or you're going to make that hero shot, which is, again then becomes a little bit dicey. So we spoke about our width, but yeah, I think to be honest, like looking at the the first part of our season obviously the time we've had together in camp we've we've probably done things a little bit differently in terms of how we've been training um Alex Martin's come in as an S&C um big Tigers background behind him working obviously with the coaches and we've we've looked slightly differently at how we're um how we're training and how we're putting ourselves under pressure and that probably favors more of our attacking game in terms of putting us under pressure. So there's probably a bit where actually our defence has taken a back seat in terms of the detail that we've put into it. Um, and I think, look, it's a long year. Everything's focused towards the World Cup, as we all know. Um, so I think there's, there's plenty of time to get the detail down in that. But I think games like that are also a really good um, way of highlighting that sort of stuff and making sure that actually we're bolting it into, into our training and looking at the detail. Well, 100%. You'd rather that game and that challenge now than, you know, 10 months down the line in a pool game, for sure. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> what was the chat at half-time, uh, Emily, from, from my point of view? From from the outside, it uh, it, it seemed there just wasn't any panic. Um, I, I don't know, the raft of substitutions came on. It possibly wasn't planned that way, was it? There was a couple of you uh, stripped off, and then there was a big, big, long... long um, passage of play and then you all kind of came on the, the, the cavalry arrived but what 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 was the chat in that in, in that second half because it was a, a much improved performance yeah I think it's probably like a little bit of all the old cliches there wasn't a huge amount of technical input at half time because I think everybody recognized that we weren't playing how we wanted to play we were making a lot of errors we were kind of um almost stunting our own uh, go forward in many ways um, and that's not to take anything away from the French because they were were playing really well but we also weren't helping ourselves so um, I think we I think you also recognise we've spoken about it throughout the week that off the back of the week before France were always going to come back and they were always going to you know stand up they weren't going to roll over that was never going to be the case so I don't think it was a surprise that you know it was either tight or we were down at half time um, and then, like you say, we had a huge amount of experience on the bench. It, it wasn't meant to be an all-eight charge on at the same time. It's just the way it happened. Um, I think two of us had stripped off. 
waiting to go on. And as the passage of play went on, that seemed to go on for like 10 minutes, everybody else just few more people got stripped off, few more people got stripped off, and then all of a sudden eight of us were charging on together. To the point that the fourth official said to us, guys, can you just go and grab your opposite number that you're bringing off because it's too many for me to radio to the referee? Um, <laughs> so on we all charged. And then, yeah, look, the game was always going to change, wasn't it? I think an England side down is always going to have a reaction. And that would be irrelevant of whether it was the same 15 on the pitch or new people coming onto the pitch. So that was always going to happen at some point. Um, and thankfully it came and thankfully it was enough. What were the, some of the messages that were coming in from mids? I, I saw Amy Turner after and she said she had a bit of an earache because um, she's obviously water girl, so she's getting the messages. Was there any clear instruction or was it like, you know, you didn't need it because as senior players and as experienced, you kind of knew what you needed to go on and do? Yeah, a little bit. I think we, we probably tried to play off 10 a little bit more. Um, so we tried to stay away from that real kind of thick, um, tough set of defensive players that they have around the breakdown um, just to try and get a little bit more momentum um, when we're going forward. Um, But yeah, otherwise, I think it was just kind of essentially keep hold of the ball. We hadn't got through many phases in that first half. We hadn't looked after it very well. We probably hadn't done things on our terms, all of those sorts of things. So I think it was just trying to get back to that. Um, And then naturally, when eight fresh people come on, just trying to up the tempo, um, I think we we pride ourselves on our physical capabilities and as, a, as an England side, so we then tried to tried to up that and and try and run people off the field a little bit. And just one more from me, like what about the belief? Because like I've been in games like World Cup final 2017 where you feel the time is getting away from you and the scoreline is getting away from you. Was there a sense of we're not going to be able to get this back? Or was there just complete calmness? We'll get an opportunity or we'll create an opportunity. Yeah, I think it it was pretty calm. And I remember looking at the scoreboard, as you do, a couple of times and thinking, oh, we've actually got quite a lot of time. So probably contrary to that 2017 example where it seems to be a minute and six minutes have gone on the clock and you just can't get a grasp of it. This game probably was a bit slower than that. Um, And we were able to, to get it kind of get it back I think I remember speaking as as that eight came on on off the bench just saying that we don't need to go and do this in the next five minutes and that's really important when you go on with 25 minutes to go whatever it was you've got a there's a huge amount of time left in that um and yeah and I think second half as well we squandered quite a lot of opportunities as well so it, it wasn't a case of we had to take the two that we had it was just a case of doing the right things, making sure that we stayed out of our half for one because easy penalty opportunities was not going to be a good thing for France, obviously, if they took theirs. Um, so, yeah, it was yeah, it was just a, a case of like putting one foot forward, see what happened, putting the next foot forward and, and just kind of, yeah, just trying to stay calm with it, I suppose. So when you go through those, those multi-phases and Mo is demanding penalties and there's some real sportsmanship type work at the Rucks and... Oh, am I just holding you down on the floor over the ball kind of stuff? Look, everybody does it. Um, I was, you know, that for me is, is is a sign of a very, very good side. You get the penalty and Joey's been kicking um, for the rest of the day. What are the conversations and what goes through your head? But I'm going to give you a caveat. You can't use the words, just go through the process in your answer. <laughs> So, if I'm honest, as soon obviously we were keeping it tight, weren't we? And as soon as we got awarded that that penalty, I dropped into the pocket and was screaming at Mo. Now, I am not a drop kicker, not something I 
have in the armory. I, I'll swing a leg at it and see what happens. But I thought penalty advantage, I'll give it a crack. Anyway, she ignored me, as she quite often does. Um, but uh, yeah, so obviously then ordered the penalty. It, where it was, it was always everybody from 1 to 15 is pointing at the post before I've even had a chance to get over there and, and make the decision for myself. Um, but yeah, I suppose in, in goal kicking terms, it's a, it is a relative easy kick. Like People would be more surprised if you missed that than if you got it. So I think naturally that builds the pressure a little bit because you don't ever want to be that person that, that scuffs a sitter. Um, but yeah, without going through the cliches, Johnny, you just put your head down and pray a little bit and hope that the work you've done um, is enough. Um, but obviously, having come off the bench, you are a bit fresher, so you don't have that kind of residual fatigue perhaps in your legs that you, you may have done if you just played 80 minutes and stuff. So I suppose it, it feels a bit better. But yeah, hit it and hope and hope everything's all right. And trust the I love the fact you were setting up for a drop goal. <laughs> Katie David McLean would have had your life if you did that. I know. I'm not a drop kicker, am I? Like that's not really my thing. I'll give it a crack and it could it could have been like literally hero or zero. It could have probably gone out to touch if I'd have mishit it. But um yeah, you've got to back yourself. I wanted two shots at it. Um if I'm honest, I was looking for Helena Rowling, she's a fantastic drop kicker, but she'd trotted off around the corner, so then I was like, right, well here here we are. But um yeah, Mo didn't give me the chance, so maybe a good thing. But look, your reaction after was, wow, cool, that was a close one, girls. Like, there was no, like, major cheering or celebration from you. It was, like, all, almost like we got away with that one. Yeah, I think, being, again, been given a little bit of stick about this. Someone tweeted me something like, um, did Emily Scarrett realise that she uh, that was to win the game because she looked a little bit bored and nonchalant? I was like, well, that, that obviously wasn't the case. But I think, yeah, like you said, <laughs> yeah I, I think like you say like it was the context of that game like the French had put so much into it and, and it's it's not a case of ever feeling sorry for people but I think it's just recognizing the situation and actually that you know to come back we've all been on the the other end of those results um, and they're really tough to take they're, they're like last kick of the game you don't have a huge amount of control over them they're, they're really hard to take so I, I think for me, the reaction was probably just a little bit more of like respect for what the French had done that day. And actually that, um, yeah, we, we had nicked it at the death, but it could have easily quite gone the other way. Um, so, yeah, I think Puff of the Cheeks was one, thank God that went over. Um, and two, yeah, I think, yeah, we probably probably could have gone either way that game. Are you inside the French players' heads now? That's seven on the bounce. Six Nations this year will be, be at home. Uh, and then you've got them in a World Cup. Is that a psychological battle? It's probably too much to say you've won it already, but do you feel you're inside their heads? What was their reaction post? I think it'd be unfair for me to ever kind of guess guess what they're thinking, but having been on the other side of those things, whether it be club or country, it, it does certainly play on your mind. But then I think all three of us know what the French team are capable of. And sometimes you can get different versions of a French team. And I've no doubt that in a one-off game, in a World Cup where everything matters, you'll get the very, very best version of them. Um, so I don't think, look, it, it, it does make a difference in terms of um, psyche and all that sort of stuff. But I think for us as an England side, we've got to make sure that we now don't rest on that and think, and think exactly what you just said because that's really 
important as well because we could almost beat ourselves with thought processes like that so um i think it's really important that we as i say have respect for them and the quality side that they are um but and and i guess do all our homework and everything like we normally would and prepare for a tough one emily you some sometimes from from the sidelines or, or the commentary box whatever it, it, it seems like something just clicks and i was doing um and we've seen it Super Series, a couple of games, USA, France, a couple of years back. France earlier this year in the Six Nations, even 2014 World Cup final. don't know if you remember that. Um, but I was commentating Loughborough Quinns the other day with, with your good friend Mo. And she says, you can, you, you something just about 60 minutes in, you just switched. And Mo said, look, you can see it in her eyes. Are, are you are you conscious of that? Because you almost sort of turn into Queen Midas, uh, when you when you flick it flick that switch, everything you touch g- g- goes to goal. Is that a conscious thing? Um, I don't think it's a conscious thing. I think if you take that that Quinn's game as an example, and obviously Beth was on the other side of it, I was pretty. Uh, what's what words can I use? Um, frustrated with the first half, first fifty minutes with that game. So it was actually a case of right, we'll try and do something. Else, you're going to get hammered. Um, so that's kind of. I guess you you spark to life a little bit. You try and bring some energy. You try and get involved because um, I think the, sometimes the worst thing for, especially as a, a more of an outside back, sometimes you can t- touch the ball once, twice in the game, have very little involvement, and you've been hammered and you've had very little impact on it. You've not had had any control of a game. You've not been able to get into it for whatever reason, and and that for me is really hard because I don't like not being able to have an input. Um, even if, if I'm having an input and I'm having a shocker, I guess you can take that because at least you, you're trying something. Um, whereas I struggle when I'm not able to have an input in any way, shape or form. So, yeah, for, for that, that Quinns game, it was just a case of trying to trying to do something to change the game. We had analysed them. We knew what we wanted to do and we hadn't done it. And I think that was also a frustration. So then it was a case of, right, well, let's try these things because we've looked at it. We think it's going to work but we hadn't even tried it yet. Um, no, I, I think your, I think the word frustration is the exact word that I was thinking when Johnny and I spoke about this yesterday, because I think most games that you go into, everybody's very aware of you, double marked most of the time, trying to shut you down. So your game is always trying to bring other people into the game and then opportunities do open up. And I think there's a point where you get, do you know what? Like, that's it. <laughs> I'm going to do something now. I'm going to try something. And it's probably a good job that you didn't try that earlier in the Queen's game. But I do think there's like a sense of you really understand and know your role to the outside backs and what you want to try. But then there's a time and place where you're like, right, I've had enough now. And you're such a, a lovely person, so humble in your ability that you almost, <laughs> Johnny's face is trying to make out that you're not, that, you know, you make others come to life and then, but, the way that you can just turn it on and literally win games for teams and not just at the weekend, that penalty we're talking about, you know, in the summer series, World Cup finals, like you just seem to turn it on when it's needed. And it's it's an incredible trait to have. But to be fair, Berth, that's going to be really, really different and difficult, a different challenge now from uh, for Skaz, you know, having to, having to do that off the bench nowadays. So... Um... That's going to be. You a, just hear sarcasm in your voice, then that there's going to be something. <laughs> it's going to be quite different, a different challenge for her now. Yeah, with uh, with twenty three on the back. Now, look, Skaz, um, we won't make you sort of respond off the back of that because, um, yeah, uh, I don't know an international player or, or club player that has that amount of influence or, or, on a game of rugby single handedly. It's um, 
quite unbelievable to um, to to witness at times. And we should just give a nod to your your good friend Katie. You mentioned her earlier. 116 caps now nestled in behind Rocky and, and Sunter. Unbelievable servant, right? Yeah, phenomenal. Um, yeah, huge credit to all of the work that she's ever put in over the years. I think. Look at someone like Katie, obviously, we know she's been around for, for ages. We know she's got a phenomenal kicking game. We know everything else about her game on the field. But I think the biggest thing for me, especially at the moment, is just everything that she brings off it in terms of the analysis work, her input to the game plan. I think us as players are having a, a much larger input on things now. And she is kind of right at the front of, of that. Um, just, yeah, the extra knowledge, just the little conversations that she picks up with people around decisions that are being made or things like that. I think all those sorts of things are why she's one of the best players in the world and rightly deserves, you know, all those hundred and whatever caps that she's got um, and still going. 116. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And what are you, 91, 92 now for yourself? 92, 92. Cruising towards the century and still only 21 years of age. Where where does the hundred land? Or are we not in for about it? I don't know, to be fair. You know what it's like. You pick up a little niggle and you could miss quite a few games. So, yeah, not looking into that one too much. Second pool game of the World Cup. Um, (laughs) Anyway, perhaps Mids will let you start that one uh, for your 100. (laughs) That'd be nice. Emily, thank you so much on behalf of the country. Look, we must just say, yeah, being on terrestrial television and I've got got Mother Hammond texting me saying, oh, wasn't that exciting? Etc. Etc. Which she, yeah, she doesn't often do. So, no, w- well done you for making it quite so dramatic and what have you. That was obviously the plan the whole time um, to draw people in. So, no, congratulations to you. Wonderful to see you playing, and great to see you this morning. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thanks for having me. It's Katie Sadlier here, general manager of Women's Rugby at World Rugby, and you are listening to the Women's Rugby Pod. Staying on international news. Over to Wales. Big, big positive, we feel, news coming out of Wales last week. Identifying their coaching setup for the foreseeable future. Warren Abrahams, a former Sevens coach of USA, will be heading up the programme. And alongside him, Rachel Taylor will be doing the skills. Yeah, what a great lady to, to have involved. Let's have, a, let's have a chat with Rachel now. We are absolutely delighted this morning and early, bright and breezy. Uh, to be joined by the new Wales skills coach, Rachel Taylor, friend of the pod, been on before. Um, how are you, Rachel? Are you well? I'm very well, guys. Thank you very much for having me on this morning. Don't be ridiculous. We wanted to obviously uh, react to wonderful news last week of uh, of you getting that position. Many, many congratulations. Where are the excitement levels? Uh, pretty high. <laughs> um, no, it was a bit of a whirlwind week, really. You know, it's you can't kind of get away from the struggles that rugby's facing at the moment, you know, financially with um, the the impact of the pandemic. So to have some good news, um, something to look forward to to the future and just a little bit of, I suppose, stability um, for me personally, you know, was, was massive. And then chuck onto that all the kind of pride and, and honour it is to, to be part of a national squad. So yeah, it's, it's been, it's been crazy. You know, I've, uh, I was on furlough for quite a while and then into flexi photo so to come from that into kind of a a flat out crazy week was um was certainly back to work with a bang but no it was really good and uh, wouldn't change it for the world 
relatively easy, tra- quick transition, really, from um, from your playing days. What 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 have you been doing coaching wise? Those who don't know, uh, between hanging up your boots without a clipboard in your hand, as it were. <laughs> um, yeah, so I obviously retired in twenty seventeen, which was post World Cup, and then kind of played a little bit. You know, like obviously fortunate enough to go with the bar bars and, and those kind of, I suppose, like the the dream retirement year really on reflection. Um, so I was really lucky to, to that, have that kind of panned out for me. But I took a job with a Welsh Rugby Union in 2015. So before I retired playing, so I've worked, worked for them for, for over five years now. Um, the first job was in a community role. So really sort of broad spectrum coaching, you know, from your under sevens all the way through to sort of senior rugby. Um, so that was, that was great because it just gave me a real taste and a real, I suppose, a different variety of experience. Um, and then in 2018, I put, um, you know, made a conscious change to go into the performance side of the game, which was in the was within the academy. So, uh, you know, a bit of a shift of mindset, I suppose. But I still coached in the community. Obviously, still coach with Colton Bay, um, men's team. But I suppose I was really lucky to have had the support of the Welsh Rugby Union. So I was in the an elite coaching pathway with those guys so um you know being on courses with all the regional coaches was just class because you just sort of learn from from their experiences as well and did some stuff with world rugby so it was with um, the high performance group in world rugby and then i've been with Wuzla, so that's the women's um, leadership academy which which has just been incredible and that's uh all different nations across the world from all different sports so when you get to share ideas with a with a USA wrestling coach, it's, it's great. <laughs> well, I just want to like pick up on that, like because I think it's incredible that actually, you know, I know before you retired, the Welsh Rugby Union, you were already working for them, but for them to keep hold of players, I think so important, and to to have that pathway for you, well, not just for you, but to have it in place. And now, you know, there's not many females that have retired and then they're now working with the national squad. So I think it's incredible, and it's. You know, well done Wales and doing that. Um, but I'm interested. Where are you going to start then? What are you going to jump into? Where? What's the to-do list, or what's like the first thing that you're thinking of trying to impact on that squad? Yes, yeah, so it was a bit of a funny one. Like being being there as a skills coach, um, it was really broad. I suppose like the the options. I think we've probably been really lucky in that a lot of the girls are in the English Prem now, so they're getting competitive game times and regularly as well, which is which is just amazing for us as a national squad that they're getting that level of competition. Um, and, you know, we won't see them that much. So the impact that we have, it, you know, it needs to be pretty full on, but you're not going to be able to change everything overnight. So there'll be little key areas where we want to tweak. Um, you know, Warren, who who sounds, um, in my limited meetings with him so far, seems like an absolute great guy. Uh, and he's likes to think outside the box, as do I. So... I'm hoping we can give something a little bit different. I think it's very much going to be trying to just find our feet for the first month, probably. Um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky that I know a few of the girls before retiring. So, I, you know, I, I know a few of them from playing, but, um, you know, Warren needs to, to get to sort of get to know everybody and, and find out who's out there. So he definitely has some funny ways of getting to know people. So <laughs> that's going to be a good experience. <laughs> He's a pretty cool guy, so I think he's um, you know he's trying to touch base with a lot of the players now, which is which is good. And you know we are going to be chasing our tails a little bit. You can't you can't hide away from that with with competitions. You know, literally just around the corner. But 
yeah, hopefully we'll we'll come at it a little bit a little bit differently, a little bit quirky. I mean, it's quite it's a big statement, isn't it, from Welsh Rugby Union? You know, employing yourself and Warren Sevens coaches also in like in your years, like how significant is this? I think it's massive. I think that's a lot of that is why I was so obviously like with, with lockdown when the job application came out, probably. I probably obviously had an aspiration of doing it, but it was probably something I saw, I don't know, maybe three, five years down the line from me at the moment. But I just felt like there's a bit of a shift in the Welsh Rugby Union at the moment and and almost like an encouragement to sort of create that diversity within the team. And I thought, you know, actually, I really want to be part of that. I I want to be part of the change and I feel feel like there's that momentum. Um, And I thought that maybe I'd add a bit of weight to that momentum. So um, not much weight, but... um, that was that was the plan, you know, and I think it's it's a real statement from them of intent from where they see the women's program going, and hopefully that's just something that's going to go from strength to strength. From an outsider's point of view, a, a broadcast point of view, um, or certainly stuff that we can talk about on air, kind of point of view, um, the ship seems to kind of be slightly rudderless, and I, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but you know, who's coaching, who's not coaching, and I think it's it's incredibly shrewd to have someone like yourself who don't blush. Quite clearly, every player that I ever speak to about yourself can't speak more more highly of you and your leadership skills as well. So actually, I think yeah, that psychological, that personal element of the coaching, I think it's an absolute genius move from 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 the Welsh Rugby Union to to get yourself involved. What's the Six Nations then? What's what's the what's the plan for the Six Nations? What are your expectations for the Six Nations? What does success look for, like for the Six Nations? Um. Yeah, like I th- just just to jump back to the to the coaching point, I think I think you're right. I think that probably has been rudderless, and I think that you know that you're not the first person to describe it as that. I think it's a fair uh, a fair description. Plus, you think about um, you know what those players really deserve, and I think that's probably where Warren and I are trying to build that relationship early doors because we feel like they deserve more. They deserve consistency, and that's what we want to give them. And I think. You know the spin-off of that into the Six Nations will hopefully allow them to sort of come out of their shells a little bit more, be a little bit more confident, but also like we want to ramp up and be a bit more competitive. You know, the the last Six Nations didn't go to didn't go to plan, but you know a lot of new players got game time, which is great. But there's only so long you can, you know, say that line. So it's time for us to get a little bit competitive. I think having a real fresh start helps that because obviously every player now needs to put their hand up again which is great um like i said the english prem has given us so much competition between positions so you've already got that kind of nice internal element to to bump things up but i think we you know like you're right about the as needing some consistency and um some cohesion really so i suppose if we had to put like a target on the six nations it would be to get that a bit of cohesion within the squad um, and really start to build a team and not just a group of players. We're, we're whizzing around the place um, th- this morning, Rachel. So I'm just going to ask you just very, very quickly, reaction to your World Cup pool, New Zealand, Australia and the final qualifier from the repochage. <laughs> yeah, I joked yesterday and said, I think we'll probably need to give the, that little bowl of balls a bit more of a rattle <laughs> before they pick our names out. Um, but no, we like I'd be... <laughs> I'd be lying if I said it wasn't just really exciting for us because we don't get to play Australia and New Zealand, you know, very often. So to get that is going to be incredible. To get it in New Zealand, it's just going to be another level that our players won't have um, won't have experienced. I guess, you know, 
we were fortunate to get France in the opening game of the French World Cup and like that was just an incredible moment for, for the team and for the players. So, you know, you as much people probably sort of like raise their eyebrows, you know, to have New Zealand in a, in an opener would be just immense because, you know, we need to go there and, and show what Wales is about as a, as a country as well, not just the way we play, but there'll be a big focus on us of, of sort of rekindling that. But yeah, I mean, Australia are going to be tough, you know, like, you know how physical they are, like the battles we had with them over the years have been brutal, to say the least. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, hopefully they'll be so preoccupied with taking chunks out of each other that, um, that it'll give us a good chance. And then obviously that final position, I mean, that's wide open at the moment. So kind of really keen to see where that goes. Who knows? Rachel, thank you so much for, for joining us this morning. Really, really great to ch- ch- chat to you off the back of that that brilliant news. And um, yeah, I think I speak for sort of Berth and I when we say we can only expect sort of good things with, you, with your involvement. But thank you so much for joining us again on, on the pod this morning. Oh, thanks very much for having me, guys. Great to see you. Hello, I'm Ollie Phillips, and you are listening to the fantabulous, absolutely wondrous and wonderful women's rugby pod. Enjoy. So what of other news from around the Oval World? Well, at the weekend, there was a replayed round three game for the Premier 15s. Gloucester Hartbury against Sale. Real tight one, this one. Uh, Gloucester Hartbury came away with a win, 17 points to 14. So actually ahead at the break, Hannah Jones and uh, Daisy Fenney, uh, her conversion sealed the deal. But a, a good result for Gloucester Hartbury with a, with a few players missing for them. This weekend, round six of the Premier 15s, Sale against Worcester. Where's that one going, Berth? Oh, I think that's quite a tight one to call, but mm, I'm going to back Sale. I think they're showing good promise, and they obviously played really well last weekend without their key player. Um, So, yeah, I'm going to back Sale on this one. Sale for the win against Worcester. Loughborough Lightning against DMP Durham Sharks. Loughborough. No more needs to be said. Exeter against Wasps. Uh, I think this could be quite a tight one, but I, th- I think Wasps are going to take away with it. We've got a few injuries. Um, I've seen a few posts on social media. Abby Burton in hospital bed, plaster cast, Eddie Boatman as well. Um, so they've got a few more injuries to, to contend with. Uh, Gloucester Harbury against Harlequins, which is uh, obviously your game. It's uh, the live stream game with the RFU. Presumably a home win, Berth, yeah? That's the plan, Johnny. Well, you're away. Oh, <laughs> OK, lovely. Wow, OK, there's, there's confidence from the captain. No. Uh, and the final fixture... Uh, We'll cut that out. What? No, Queen's always obviously going for the women. No, no, either way, you've either backed lost a heartbreak or you don't know whether you're a home or away. So that's staying. I mean, it's early morning, so, um, and the game is Saturday. It's a few days away yet. So, Rachel Burford's travel plans all sorted <laughs> for the weekend. Um, <laughs> Pris- Sorry about that Friday. <laughs> So, yeah, you, you're going home win. Uh, good. Um, and Bristol against Saracens. Uh, Saracens. Bristol missing too many and Saracens will be too strong for them. Good. Well, there's some other results. Um, round three down in Hong Kong. Society General Valley Black Ladies won 17-10 over Guy Wu Falcons. 
USRC Tigers ladies put a whopping 72 points on SCAA Causeway Bay Phoenix. Uh, Nantix Hong Kong FC Ice won 12-5 against DAC Kulong Rugby Club. And the Tigers are now top of the table on 15 points. And over in USA, they've been doing some great stuff on social media, celebrating women in rugby, including Patty Jervy, USA first World Rugby Hall of Famer. And of course, they had two inter-team games over the last few weeks. First round, Stripes won 34-12 against the Stars. But unfortunately, the second round was cancelled due to COVID. And the uh, second of the Black Ferns against the New Zealand Barbarians games down in Nelson. Really tight one, this one. Uh, Black Ferns come away 19-7 victory. Great hacker, if you haven't seen it. To search that up on social media. Pip Love with a, a couple of tries and some driving line outs as well. I thought uh, Simon Middleton and, and England would have been very, very keen to uh, to see them. Yeah, very, very powerful performance from the Black Ferns. And the final bit of news uh, we've spoken about the Rugby World Cup 2021 coaching internship programme, to give it its full title. Um, the funding. Developing coaches to work with their national sides leading into that World Cup. And last week, Fiji announced their internship programme coach, former Australian international and Melbourne Rebels head coach, Alana Thomas, will be working alongside Fiji. So good news. Well, Fiji is one of those teams drawn in that same pool as England and France and South Africa. And now we can get the lady who's in charge of that whole tournament on the pod from her home in Ireland. It's Alison Hughes. I'm Shani Williams, and you're listening to the Women's Rugby Pod. Well, a real treat this morning. Off the back of, let's be honest, a very, very swanky World Cup pool draw, is the lady in charge of the whole kit and caboodle, basically. Alison Hughes. Good morning to you, Alison. How are you? Good morning. We're very well, yeah. We're very well. Swanky World Cup draw. I like that. Yeah, yeah. we use that. That's lovely. Thank you very much. Yeah, we were delighted with it. Obviously not delighted that we couldn't be there, but delighted that it went well and the Prime Minister was in attendance and uh, Melody and Dr Farah Palmer and Dan Carter did us proud. Who's that Who's that last one? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, it's, just, it's just a guy that we just, you know, <laughs> we had to have something. I mean, from, <laughs> yeah, nice representation. Um, and obviously, off the back of that, the the the, the balls being pulled from from those bags, um, some incredibly tasty matchups. Uh, and obviously, people will be drawn to those sort of geographical matchups. Did it just burn your fire even brighter with a, with it less than twelve months away now? Oh, amazing, yeah. I mean, it's uh, and then and then to have one of those matches play out. The following, you know, 24 hours later um, was was great to see that and such an nail biter as well. Um, so, yeah, look, it, 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 any kind of matchups like that it, were going to be great. But but to see those local derbies play out as well in, in a World Cup um, and then intermingle that with with different teams and, and, and different kind of matches coming through those pool rounds is going to be fantastic to see. But, yeah, it's going to attract an awful lot of local attention. Obviously, Australia, New Zealand always does. Um England and France, we're going to have to make sure we put that on a time that's reasonably acceptable for the Northern Hemisphere. Um, and the same with USA and Canada. So, uh, yeah, a great, a great pool draw all round, actually. Yeah, we're really looking forward to it now. 
We, we should just uh, just rattle through them. Pool A in New Zealand, Australia, Wales, and the, the final qualifier from the repechage. Pool B, Canada, USA, Europe 1, Asia 1. And Pool C, England, France, Fiji, and South Africa. Alison, we are, what, 11, 10 months away now. How challenging has the whole COVID thing been? It's probably a, a, an obvious question, but what, what have been, been your biggest challenges, apart from not getting down to New Zealand for the launch? Uh, well, that seems to, to pale into insignificance, really. I think that the biggest challenge, and it's the biggest challenge for everyone around the world, I would suggest, is the is the unknown. It's the it's the uncertainty as to when this might change, when it might adapt, when it might disappear altogether. Hopefully, with a vaccine, wouldn't that be great? Um, but yeah, it's just been able to roll with every change that comes in on an almost daily basis at this point. Um, there was a point in time where the world was pretty much at the same level. We were all in lockdown. We were all minding ourselves. We were all staying behind closed doors. And then different countries, different regions for different reasons opened doors, began to train, began to play in some cases, and others didn't. And so that um, disparate situation between regions and within regions has, has been a challenge, trying to trying to get those qualifications played and obviously just trying to get some rugby played ahead of a tournament. That's a really important factor for us next year. And Alison, just... Wondering if you can give us an insight. Will the World Cup look the same next year or there's some certain things that you guys have to consider going into that World Cup with COVID? I think um, of all of the countries we were going to, you know, New Zealand has obviously put very strict controls on its borders and and that's been very successful for them. And while the entry into New Zealand is going to look very different, you know, it's not off the plane and to your hotel and away you go. Um, there is going to be, we feel at this point, and again, we can only plan with what's in front of us right this minute. We do feel that there is going to be a period of isolation or, or MIQ, as they call it, managed isolation and quarantine. Um, what exactly that's going to look like, we're working with the government on that. But then once you're beyond that process, life in New Zealand is as, as it was for everybody this time last year. It's sitting shoulder to shoulder with a stranger in the stand. It's having a pint at the bar. It's going for a cup of coffee. It's Hugging your friends when you see them, it's handshakes. So while while the entry system, as I say, and getting there is going to be the challenge once we're there, and we saw it last weekend with this, the uh, Samoa-Tonga match, stadiums are going to be full, crowds are going to be cheering and clapping, and they're all going to be into that stadium all at once. So that's going to be a fantastic atmosphere, and it's going to build a great tournament. Just, I mean, we, we've obviously went through the pools there. We've still got one, two, three, three teams still to qualify. How much of a, a, a concern is that? Obviously, we had um, those Six Nations games sort of cancelled and one of those was, was acting as a World Cup qualifier. How much concern is there to, to get those away come, come the new year? Yeah, it, it, listen, we're working really hard with all of those regions and unions and I think one, one thing we have to commend all of the teams for is they're really coming to those conversations with solutions. Um, you know, everybody in the women's space, and we've said this before, has really, you know, really wants this game to grow, really wants this World Cup to be spectacular. Once everything settled on the pitch, that's the key. We want to do this through rugby. Um, so coming with solutions, coming with suggestions as to how we can make qualifiers work. So the two big ones are obviously, as you mentioned, Europe. Um, we're obviously talking to them on a weekly basis at this stage. Asia also has to get their entire qualification process away. They've had very little, if, if any, rugby uh, for the year. So they're planning to have their qualification in March as well. Um, there's a couple of other matches that we need to look at. Kenya and Colombia have to play off as yet. And then we have to look at our final qualification tournament uh, and how we stage that and, and maybe making some adjustments to that in terms of the amount of matches 
and the process that we use for that, but certainly looking to get that away. Um, probably as early in the year as we can. Yeah. In saying that, it'll, it'll probably be quarter two by the time we get that away, just to give that team you know, adequate preparation and give us time to, to process all the paperwork that we're going to need to get them into New Zealand. Once that process is is all done, first World Cup down down in the Southern Hemisphere and obviously New Zealand. What what does that bring for for a women's World Cup? Not only something that Southern Hemisphere, but obviously a slightly rugby mad nation like New Zealand. Slightly rugby mad. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can't really avoid it, can you? No. Um, listen, it, it'll bring an enormous. I think it'll bring a fantastic atmosphere. I think it will bring a great enthusiasm for women's rugby um, and, and to see international rugby at that level on their, on their doorstep, you know. The success and the, and the engagement and the enthusiasm that we saw in 2011, 2011's quite a long time ago, you know, um, but that, that engagement and enthusiasm is still there. And, you know, you heard the Prime Minister in the draw saying, we're, we're so looking forward to this. We so want this tournament to be here. We so wanted it to come here. Um, and, and we want to put on a spectacular event. We want to welcome you appropriately. So, yeah, I think I think we're going to see some fantastic games as we've talked about. But I think the reaction of the public and, and the and the welcome that the teams will get and that that very unique New Zealand experience. I think that's we we've managed to give a little bit of a an insight into the Irish experience when in 2017. But that Maori and Maori welcome experience is going to be something else. Yeah, I've been very fortunate to play there and, and enjoy those experiences and um, a bit of a personal question Ali obviously I think you and probably Kate Sadler are the most well connected with unions countries globally who is it that excites you the most um at the rugby world cup who are you looking forward to seeing compete oh my gosh there's so many of them the island but we're hopefully if they're there but yeah, you can't we'll... say Ireland I can't say Ireland. Okay, no, I won't say Ireland. Um, I kind of, I kind of know what to expect with Ireland. So, what? Who excites me? Fiji. I'm dying to see Fiji. I haven't seen Fiji play 15s. I just personally haven't seen them play 15s for a long time. Um, and I think they are. Um, I think they're a team in waiting. Um, Samoa had traditionally been part of World Cups. You know, back in 2002, 2006. Um, Fiji, I think if, if we if we can get that preparation right for them, Fiji, I think will explode, um, and that, I'm really excited to see them. South Africa have been knocking on the door for a long time. They've had a great women's sevens program, as we know, um, but they're strong in their 15s. You know, you never know what you're going to get in terms of a South African, particularly up front, um, South African team. So I'm I'm looking forward to them. Um, USA and Canada, you, you always get a great game out of that. So I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that particular round as well. Um, yeah, I think those those teams are going to bring something special to it. Um, yeah, and, and watching who, who comes through, you know, seeing the likes of Kenya and Colombia play off for a place in the qualification tournament, will one of those get through? It's just really exciting to see new teams coming on and saying, we, we, want, to, we want to be part of this. Let us be part of this. How, how do we break into this? So... Um, watching them develop over the year, over the couple of years since 2017, has been great. It's been brilliant. You mentioned that growth, and, and you're talking about countries there who, in the men's space, actually are on 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 anywhere kind of near. Has has that been the 
the big thing is actually just the general standards just just rising. We know about the Englands, we know about the New Zealands, the the Frances, and we we see the European teams, the Six Nations. But is it the the Netherlands, the 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 Kenyans, the the Fijis, the South Africans you're talking about who aren't traditional women's rugby teams growing? And is that where you expect to see the most growth post this World Cup? Yeah, I think so. I think the, the growth has been extraordinary. Um, if we look at, I mean, just looking at the, the volume of test matches that have been played. So if you look at the amount of test matches that were played in 17 outside of the World Cup and 18, it was about 50, 50 test matches across the world. That included the likes of the Six Nations and the Asian Championship, which has been running as long almost as the Six Nations. Um, new competitions coming up like Oceania and Africa. Uh, and then in 2019, there was 80 test matches played. So just actually the number of, of teams, the number of countries that are um, bringing forward international squads and putting them out there and, and saying, yes, we want to play. We want to play test matches. We want to travel. We want to engage in our regions. We want to do more. So unfortunately, for obvious reasons, that momentum has slowed down slightly in 2020. Um, and I'm hoping that post-21, we can pick that up again and push it forward but but yeah the, the growth the, the amount of games being played and the and the different teams from different regions coming on board and and, and wanting to get involved is is uh, is phenomenal we're on this we're on this wave and we, we need to keep pushing it forward yeah don't need to convince us of that uh, so we'll, we'll leave it there thank you so much i mean if the draws anything to to go by and, and we've had some some contact with Jacinda as well. We asked her to, to come on the pod, but she was a little bit really busy trying to trying to win an election. Um, but she oh, just what a, what a marvelous person she is, and you get her backing. And uh, as I say, the uh, yes, the impressive nature of that launch. If there's anything to go by, it's going to be an outstanding World Cup, and with you behind it, with that's almost guaranteed. So, thank you so much for your your um, your time this morning. Real real treat speaking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rachel, and thank you, Johnny. I'm Kira Bevan, and you're listening to the Women's Rugby Pod. Both great to have Alison on, on the pod, uh, a lady I know you, you work with closely at World Rugby um, on various committees. Very, very driven. I spent a reasonable amount of time with her in 2014. What comes across most, or certainly did, yeah, all those years ago, for, for me anyway, but just her passion for the game of rugby. Yeah, she, she has great passion, and she wants the Rugby World Cup to be the very best it can be and she'll go to extreme lengths to do so. Um, you know, I do know how difficult it has been for her to to organise things that is still ongoing, can literally day by day change. Um, so yeah, like we've got some we've got the Rugby World Cup in really, really good hands. Absolutely. Um we, sh- we should just get your reaction off the back of the uh the, the pools. The pool draw. What do you make of it? Pool Pool A. Yeah, I think Pool A is going to be a tough pool for for Wales and for that final qualifier place. Um, Australia, New Zealand, always a great battle, but I still think that New Zealand are, are too far ahead of them at the moment to, to really stress. So, I, in my opinion, I think you know New Zealand have. Um, it's never easy, right? It's, it's never easy in a pool, but they will be pretty pleased with the the teams that they're up against. If you're Wales or Australia, do you want New Zealand first? Uh, may, I guess there's two ways to look at it. Maybe yes, so then you could try and catch them off guard. What you don't know, you don't know. So there's that respect. Or 
actually you do want to know and you want to see them play a couple of games and maybe find a few faults where you can try and exploit as well. Absolutely. Get on the phone to Alison Miller and Eve Briggs. Exactly. Anything can happen. I'm not writing anybody off. Did you get there? You got there in the end? In the end, I was like, what's he on about? Magic. And they got it. Good. Pool B, Canada, USA, Europe 1, Asia 1. Well, again, two teams very similar playing with each other, Canada, USA. So, you know, and it's never that much in it with those two. So, again, a really exciting pool about how that's going to pan out between those two teams. Still waiting who's going to take that second qualifier. Scotland, talking to Jay Confell, she's pretty adamant that they're going to have that spot. Um, and then Asia won, you know, anything could come out of that pool. It's still, you know, anybody's game at the moment. So it's hard to, to put a full thoughts on that with two spots still remaining to be filled. I mean, I know the, the New Zealand, Australia, the, the England, France, but for me, the, the USA, Canada, that, that's the one that came out of me because we know Rob Kane's doing some great stuff with USA and we had some Stars and Stripes games, didn't we? Um, over the last couple of weeks, and Canada, a lot of players playing in the Premier 15s. So, yeah, I, I, I do love a USA-Canada game of rugby. I think it's uh, there's literally no love lost. Uh, and Paul C, England-France, uh, which obviously played out at the weekend, and Fiji and South Africa. Joe, I reckon that, I think this is probably, could be the toughest pool. Um, basing on England v France at the weekend as well. Finally, we we've seen actually what France can do. We haven't seen them perform that well for a while. Um, it's whether they can keep that consistency up um, going into next year in the Six Nations and leading into the World Cup. Um, obviously, England had lots of changes, etc. So you know, all that aside, still was a brilliant Test match. And then you've got Fiji and South Africa now. I've not played Fiji in a 15s game, but I've certainly played South Africa. And um, they are really physical, really fast. And, you know, they've been doing a lot of investment behind their women's team. So they're a little bit unknown. And look, do I think England are going to have problems winning that game or against Fiji? No, not at all. And same with France. But they will be tested and they will be challenged in a different way. And I think that's what makes it really, really tasty. Um, as the like kind of a pool where there could be a potential banana especially for France. We know what France are like; they're up and down. So, yeah, I think it's an exciting pool. Incredibly physical pool, isn't it? I, that's that's my ace. Um, and does that then determine your possibly look at some yeah. some different kind of players through selection for for your World Cup squad for for Simon Middleton and and, and the French? I think also like. I think if I was Simon Middleton, I would be really happy with that pool because ultimately, like, let's be honest, England versus New Zealand are both favourites to be in the final. So how do you want to go into that that game? Do you want to have a competitive physical pool that prepares you for that? Or do you want to play against you know, sides that don't pose as much physical threat and... Um, yeah, I think they'd be really happy with, with the pool that they've got. Couldn't agree with you more. You want to go in that uh, battle-hardened, and um, that's exactly what they will do. So that's about it for this week, Berth. A few little shout-outs, though. Got to mention the England-France. Part 1 peaked at around 800,000, which uh, on BBC Two. Uh, and last week was just over 700,000. So, 
Yeah, I mean, look, really, really incredible numbers. Certainly would blow anything out of the water in terms of um, being behind a paywall kind of club games. So that's really, really encouraging stuff. And obviously people talking about, you know, that exposure and Sean Brown's does some really funny stuff on social media with uh, with with brand new fans who know nothing about rugby, but just that real excitement of of uh, of having it on terrestrial television and it being accessible, and uh, people talking about the the consistency of it staying there. That's that's the key. And on Sport TG4 over in Ireland for the Leinster Cardiff Blues game, it was an all female broadcast team. Yeah, not something that you see that often, is it? Next week on the pod, we are hoping to have uh, Chairman of World Rugby, Bill Beaumont. Just waiting to hear back from him. Fingers crossed, anyway, that, uh, that, that Bill will be on the pod. And just follow up from what Alison said today. But, yeah, it's a huge thank you to all our guests today. To Golden Girl, Emily Scarrett. To Rachel Taylor. All the best to her in uh, the starting up of her time with the WRU and Alison Hughes she's going to be a busy lady over the next 10 11 months uh, really really great to, to hear from Alison uh, we want to hear from you though as well do get in touch through our socials at pod women's rugby and please subscribe and, and rate give us a, a five star it does, does mean a huge amount this end to, to get those ratings and, uh, and, and reviews would be really really good any feedback is welcome as long as it's positive Uh, And we'll see you next week. Until next time.